Welcome to the Lawyer Live podcast, where the personal, professional, and political intersect. Each week, we discuss a topic to help ourselves and other lawyers navigate our days with a little less stress and ideally a lot more fulfillment. On today's episode, we talk about being parents. We're asking ourselves, how does being a parent change our professional lives as lawyers? I am Mike Anderson. And I'm Darlene Tonelli. Hello, Mama Darlene. <laughs> is that is that Papa Mike then? In this your is case? Papa Mike. Yeah. <laughs> you are. You're a, a new... Well, you should talk about that. I will not steal your thunder. You I am a father for the second time. Yeah, that's correct. We Yay. welcomed our, our son, uh, Tommy. Uh, full name is Thomas. Um, but yeah, Tommy came into the world uh, two weeks ago today. So um, yeah, it's been a, a lovely couple of weeks settling in with him. And uh, our daughter uh, has been lovely uh, with him. And, and we're now a family of four. So very exciting time. So in his honor, and in the honor of the entire uh, family, we're going to talk about how to be a lawyer and a, and a parent and those types of things that come up because, man, it comes up a lot and it's becoming sort of a, I'm, I'm seeing it in popular culture. I don't know if it's just because I'm attuned to the issue or what it is, but I think it's something that lawyers are trying to grapple with right now. You say it comes up a lot and it, and, uh, it actually came up being a new father and a professional came up last night during the Raptors game. Uh, by the way, go Raptors. looks like <laughs> a very exciting game last night. But anyway, uh, one of the players for the Raptors who had a great game, Fred Van Vliet, with like so many three-pointers, it was very exciting. He just became a father, this, I think this week, within the last week. Uh, and he was, people were asking him what his secret to success is because he's been playing so well lately. And he said, zero sleep, have lots of babies, go out there and let loose. Was the quote <laughs> nice? Well, it's kind of true, isn't it? They sort of, I've said before on the podcast that I find that I'm more efficient in a lot of ways since having my kids, yeah, totally. And it, um, so I, th- th- you know, this topic we were motivated to go to not only because of my circumstance, but also there was um, a really uh, an article that caused some conversation uh, online by uh, Emily Oster. She's an economist at Brown University, uh, and she has an article in The Atlantic called End the Plague of Secret Parenting, which uh, basically brings to the fore the issue of uh, folks who become parents and um, feel as though whether, you know, uh, it's, you know, during pregnancy or thereafter that they have to hide that part of their life uh, at the workplace. And uh, it's a great article to uh, to kind of process this issue and to to see that it is p- potentially a problem that you know parents uh, kind of have to balance you know being a hundred percent an employee in the workplace and then obviously a hundred percent a parent when they when they get home and it's hard to do that because life is a bit more fluid. Well, and I I found her use of the word parent interesting too because I think that way too much of the focus in the past decade and maybe properly, although I think it's time for a transition in the discussion. Um, you know, I think most of the focus on on kids in the workforce has centered on moms. Mm-hmm. I really do, and I as I kind of advance in my own career, I just think it is just not only a mom issue. I mean, there's a certain biology that drives uh, different considerations for the person actually having the baby. That's that's real. That's not going to go away. Um, but then on top of that, there is a ton of pressure. Like I think when when women come back from maternity leave or 
when women are contemplating how to tell people that they're pregnant and that, you know, things are going to change while they're on maternity leave and things like that. Um, obviously here in Canada where people can take up to um, 18 months now split between the father and mother, that is a bigger issue for employers. Um, in the States, I think it's like two months is the, the mat leave. So depending where listeners are coming from, there's a whole different context for this conversation. But I wonder from your perspective as a new dad, do you think that dads are under the same pressure to be secret parents as I think moms feel that they are? Uh, I would say not. And I would say like most things, uh, at least in my experience, you get all the benefits with far fewer drawbacks. Um, um, So even to start with, you know, uh, when you talk about pregnancy, I was having this conversation with a friend of mine and he, you know, um, you know, he was able to tell his boss at work, uh, who's a female, about uh, his wife's pregnancy, um, you know, very early on and was very happy to do so. And it was well received at work and congratulations and all positive, right? Really wonderful. Whereas his wife uh, had to effectively or felt as though she had to hide it um, uh, at, at her work- workplace. And how different is that experience on its own, right? <laughs> like one person's being celebrated and revered and isn't this wonderful. And the other person is feels like they have to carry the secret until a point where it, it'll just become too obvious. Um, and then you feel like you're deceiving or, uh, you know, have a negative feeling about what you're doing in the workplace. Um, largely because of a, a culture that's imposed upon the female uh, in certain workplaces that, you know, that's an inconvenience and you're causing us problems and what about your projects and so on. Um, so even from the outset, I think that you have that, the guys have a lot of the benefits. And then when I found after becoming a dad at, uh, first, uh, almost three years ago, um, I was able to, you know, now have easier chat fodder with, uh, coworkers and, you know, clients and, and other folk, um, mm. and, and put me on a level with people that are, you know, 20 years older than me uh, that I otherwise would have had difficulty to get to. So again, a lot of advantages, um, but I didn't have to deal with uh, a lot of the negativity that I think, you know, uh, most females uh, might have to deal with when, especially in the early stages of a child coming along. Well, I think there's a, a lot in that, right? So I think one of the reasons why dads are celebrated on the announcement and women are, and moms are not is because the employer and the team around them are really feeling the impending loss of the person Mm -hmm. as a worker, right? And I think the fact that men um, are still to this day, it's not yet widely acceptable to take a paternity leave of any reasonable length. I mean, most paternity leaves look more like a small vacation, right? Mm -hmm. It's kind of like a, it's not a big inconvenience to the team, um, you know, so I think until paternity leave start to be as inconvenient to the team as a maternity leave can be perceived to be, you know, there will always be that different reception. I think, though, the other layer on top of that is that I think there's still a perception that once a mom becomes a mom, she's not committed to her career anymore. Right. And that yeah. is just absolutely not the case about dads. Um, and I think, again, it's a function of dads have not historically been as present in the lives of the child. And I think we're still as a society trying to figure out how to deal with high powered moms in the workplace um, and how dads have to be there and adjust to that new reality. I mean, this was not something that existed 40 years ago in at any scale, right? It's not Mm -hmm. to say there weren't women in the workplace back then, but, you know, to have a 
to have a role reversal in some of the traditional things is new. And I think I don't, I don't get too upset about it. I just try to look at like the why, you know, like why are people, you know, I'm always, this is like my, my constant questioning on the podcast, but you know, why do women experience that differently? Why do people assume that having a child means that women will no longer be committed to their job? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. Well, I think, you know, going back to men not taking leaves, this is something that I think, um, you know, I've uh, thought about a lot recently, obviously. Um, When we are, we're in a environment still where women aren't provided equal pay for equal work, right? Economically, like just in real terms, like paying the mortgage and all that sort of stuff, there's an incentive for the man to continue to work. And there's a disincentive for the woman to continue to work. And so that's the structural thing that I think that actually has very real effects for people um, when making these decisions. So that's something that has to be solved. And then the societal view of like, you know, of women and mothering is, it's just so inherent. You know, there's instances in the article about women who don't put up pictures or don't at all have any evidence that they're in their offices, that they're parents. Um, I've also heard, um, I think it's a bit of a catch-22 though, because I've, I've also heard that, you know, a new mother goes back to the office and she sets up the, her office the way it was before, i.e. no evidence of kids. And then people come in and, and you know, give her crap for, oh, where are your, where are your, you know, don't you care about your kids? Where are your kids' pictures? And I don't think that a lot of times uh, women can win either way. Well, I think that goes to a deeper problem, which is, and really, I thought about this when I read that Atlantic article, but, you know, there's a lot of secret and pretending at work, right? Like, there's a lot of, like, here's a basic one, pretending that all I care about is work. I think that's a pretense that happens at a lot of places. Um, Not everybody does it, but you see it and you're like, God, I know that person has interests outside of work. Why won't they be, why don't they feel comfortable saying that? Like, we aren't these people who just work. And I feel like it's a disservice to to have inauthentic relationships, obviously, in any sphere. But I do, just because I have the good fortune of working in a company where I get to kind of set the tone <clears throat> for these types of issues, um, you know, I'm really mindful of the fact that there really isn't within our team any kind of pressure that says people shouldn't talk about their lives and their families. And that's obviously by design. Um, but I think that that is a, that's a privilege that we have and it's not everywhere. And I don't think that it's something that, um, you know, we should take like lightly, but I also think that I, I take it very seriously that I should talk about my kids so that other people feel that they can, if they want to, they don't have to. I think it's, it starts with the types of conversations that we have and then it kind of bubbles up into bigger issues like who takes the leave and um, stuff like that. Yeah. I, it, to your credit, I, I think, you know, as somebody who gets to uh, enjoy the the setup that you've created and, and the culture that you've created, um, you know, you, you're speaking about the time you spend with your kids and, you know, the article acknowledges this, you know, the valuable time between five and eight o'clock, uh, you know, during the week that are, that's a central time for parents. That's a time where, you know, you get the kids from school or daycare, you spend some time, you have dinner, you, you know, do bath stories, bed, all that sort of stuff. 
um, you know, I know that you have a similar sort of schedule as I do in that regard. And I know that you pick up, you know, the laptop if need to be after bedtime. And, you know, last night you, you and I were emailing back and forth, um, <laughs> you know, at a time that was good for us being parents. Uh, and I, I know I can do that um, because of the culture that you've set up uh, in that way. You've acknowledged that that's a reality in your life. And therefore, I can acknowledge that and embrace that. Uh, reality and not fight against it. Um, and what that allows for uh, is that I then do and can spend five to eight with my uh, kids every day. Uh, and that makes me happier and it makes me more fulfilled. And I would say it makes me do better work. And if I do have to pick up my laptop after bedtime, I'm not resentful. I'm not upset. I, you know, I feel like I'm able to maximize uh, the time I have in the day, how it makes the most sense. So uh, I think that's one bit that folks can do if you are a partner, uh, if you are in charge of any type of workplace, um, that that position of power allows you to, uh, you know, be put yourself up there if you feel comfortable to do so. Let people know that that, you know, being using time flexibly as a parent is a great thing and helpful. Um, and in your doing it yourself, uh, and especially men partners out there, uh, if you leave at five, uh, and pick up the kids from daycare, I would say that would send a great message, um, to the folks at your firm, um, that it's okay to be a parent. It's okay to be a father that prioritizes his kids outside of work time. <laughs> you know, five o'clock is a time to be with your kids. Well, and let's face it. I mean, you and I have both done our time pre-kid with the five to eight window. I mean, I, I used to think it would be unfathomable not to work during that yeah. one. And I, I think that there's room in a lifetime career in law or any other profession to work the hours that you can work when you can work them. You know, And I, I think one of, the, one of the really unfair things about the way that the traditional law firm um, model is set up is that the childbearing years and the child rearing really these early years when they really need you, you know, they really do. It's not really yeah. optional. Um, you can outsource a certain degree of the function and you can set that up as a choice for the family. Um, but it's not like when they're 18 and they can go take the bus somewhere by themselves. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's just everything is either you're doing it or you're making a choice about how to have it done. And that's just a fact. Um, but I do look at that and I just think there is room to not have the heavy child rearing years be also the years that you have to grind it out to make partner. You know, mm -hmm. it just happens to be that that's how we've got it structured. And when you really ask the question, it's like, well, that's to make maximum revenue in a lifetime, right? Like that's the reason for that structure. But at the same time, I always kind of, I mean, my next blog post is on this topic, so it's very top of mind for me. But I just always think about we earn money in our life, but we also spend our time, right? Like, so you're choosing how to spend your time. And if you're spending all of it to earn money and you're not spending it with your children or you're not spending it on things that matter to you, then, you know, arguably it's a different calculus of, of how you're making your living, I guess. Um, you know, I don't think that's a normal, uh, it's not a common way to think about money, but that is how I think about it. And um, I, I definitely am starting to look at all of these issues as very much on the table for discussion, right? Like it's not, mm -hmm. to me, it's not a, if someone doesn't work between five and eight, it's not because they're automatically a slacker, 
you know, I don't know what the reason is that they're not working between five and eight, but they have tasks to get done. And those tasks will get done or they won't, right? And if they don't, it shall be revealed, as my wise friend says. Like, you know, it's not about, I think there's a lot of fear in law firms that if we take the pedal off the metal and if we we allow people the freedom to dictate the way that their day is going to be, that everyone's just going to put the pens down and have a free for all. And, and that's not my experience. I think that all of us are really hard, maybe not all, but I think, you know, lawyers as a group are a pretty hardworking bunch. Um, and we can be trusted to make the right decisions. And at the end of the day, the clients will speak if the work mm-hmm. is not getting done and that we own that, you know, like that's how our business works and that's how it should work as opposed to the partner who worked insane hours and had a stay-at-home spouse and never saw their children or outsourced the work demands that of everybody else because that's how it's done right like there's a very fundamental difference between those two positions i think yeah i think uh, when it comes to making that decision of you know it's and it's you know this could be a decision you make not just about parenting it could be about you know other family members to take care of or prioritizing your interests or passions outside of the law, you know, in in the end, I think that the battle here is, uh, is the battle over, you know, the potentially the, like the ego of, you know, being in that process of, you know, be quote unquote successful as a lawyer. Uh, That means at this age, you're doing X. And that means at this age, you're doing X and that can be partnership or a number of other things. Um, But perhaps it's actually just taking a look at what you individually want um, and and understanding how to structure your professional life and your personal life to achieve um, the sort of balance that, that you need to, you know, and the thing you want. Well, and you raise an interesting point because the other assumption that I find comes up all the time is we're going to retire at 65 and then we're going to do all the things that we yeah. didn't do when we were working so hard, which was very much the prevailing orthodoxy prior to our generation, probably. Um, still is, I mean, still is, but I don't know. I mean, I've said it before on the podcast to say like, you know, the problem is you think you have time and I I don't know, you know, we never know how much time we have. And one of the things, uh, a friend of mine, uh, Mike Ross does a podcast called boiling the ocean, very similar to our podcast, except it's from the management consultants perspective. Um, and they did an episode on work-life balance coincidentally that I was listening to this morning. And in that Um, these are two men that do a podcast and conversation format from the very hard driving management consultant world. And they say, you know, one of the common pieces of wisdom about parenting in that world is, oh, no, no, it's not the quantity you spend. No, it's not the quantity of time. It's the quality that you spend Mm -hmm. with your children. And, you know, I, I question that. And so did they rightly on the podcast, which is, it is the quantity though, that kind of determines the quality with kids. Because as we've talked Mm -hmm. about before, like my son's expectation is that I'm here all the time, you know, and anything that's a diminishment of that is, is not good in his view. Um, And that, it doesn't mean that I have to live my life to deliver on that expectation. But I have to understand that I have to create the conditions in which he has enough exposure to me that quality moments can happen. You know, I can't That's necessarily right. plan that. And this is a point that they made on the Boiling the Ocean podcast is just, you know, I can't necessarily plan that 
I've got an hour and we're going to jam in a quality conversation. (laughs) Like if he never sees me, that's not going to be what he's doing in that hour. He's not even going to maybe know how to relate with me. So I don't know that I think it is such a personal decision. I think every child is different. Every family is different. I don't actually have like a solid out of the box judgment on, you know, if there isn't, I think if people want to just work and that's the life that you've decided you want and, and you find your sweet spot, I don't really have a problem with that. What I have a problem with and what I try to kind of address with you on this podcast is just the idea that that's the only way. You know, that's the problem. It doesn't, like, there can be people who can make a choice to be a workaholic uh, to the exclusion of all else. But that doesn't mean that, um, I I just think we hear too much from them in in the legal profession. You know, like, oh, there's the vaunted status that that person has because they're such heavy billers. Like, okay, that's mm-hmm. one thing. But what about, let's hear from the the dad that you mentioned who goes at five o'clock to pick up his kids and demonstrates to people that um, he has a life outside the office. That's valuable too, maybe different, but it is valuable. So yeah, I think all of this conversation is not to kind of rain down on the traditional model. It's just to say there are options and there are a lot of stories that we all tell ourselves about kids and Um, you know, what works and what doesn't. And I think we have to be really mindful of, you know, is that story true for our own kid? I don't know. You know, and if it's not, the years are so short. I mean, my son, I just, yesterday for the first time, he kind of like wanted to ride his bike instead of holding my hand after school. And I just died a small death inside. (laughs) I thought, no, you have to hold my hand until you're at least seven. Um, and you know, it's, uh, it's a special thing to be able to do that. So, yeah. And I think we speaking, uh, kind of similar to, um, the time conversation we had last episode, I think it's a profession we often, um, are inclined to contract out certain things in our life, you know, work around the house or, or sometimes childcare and, and, you know, you talking about the handholding after school, that's important to you it's but to somebody who doesn't have the picking up after school experience that might seem like nothing you know um right and so there's i I don't know i take great joy in the nitty-gritty and sometimes it's important to know that your kid has a diaper rash because maybe that informs why they're just acting out you know (laughs) that takes you changing the diaper you know um so uh, i i think it's a really rich part of life and our as i said we're really I think oftentimes encouraged or trained to say, you know, oh, it's not efficient for you to do X. So, you know, get somebody else to do it. Um, there's, there's hidden value, I think, that we oftentimes overlook. Well, and frankly, I think the key, well, we can wrap it up with maybe this, this thought, but I think this stuff is important to talk about, not in this war of like, what's better parent or not parenting. You know, I, I, still, um, I still would say that the choice to not become a parent, I fully respect. And um, you know, I don't think that this is, uh, I don't necessarily believe that being a parent is like the key to a full life. And I don't believe also that the only thing that gets you a ticket out of the office between five and eight is having children. Yeah, <laughs> um, right. yep. You know, I think there are lots of life choices that people can make. I think it's, it starts with one honesty about, you know, who you are as a human being and what your interests are and what keeps you sane. And if that's a daily workout, then do the daily workout. You know, don't pretend that you're a slogger 
and then have to get a health crisis to kick you into gear at, at 40. Um, you know, the second thing is, I think these, these issues about looking at what it actually means to raise children while being high-powered professionals, so to speak, in this world where you could always be working, is a really fundamental um, thing that we have to go through as a society. Because I think there has historically been a real misunderstanding between men and women of the value of that work. I think even women really devalued it when we first came into the workforce. I know I certainly did not appreciate the value of what my mom did for us until I became a mother myself. Um, you know, I think it, it, the the misunderstanding of how valuable women's skills traditionally were plays into some of the pay equity issues in the workplace. Um, it plays into issues that I discuss with female lawyers a lot, which is, you know, we have this, there is often an expectation, we'll just volunteer to do things. You know, that's the expectation. And I do not see that expectation on similarly experienced men of my vintage. Um, I think that these types of issues are, you know, they say things start at home. And I really think that a better understanding of both men and women of what happens in the home and how men, you know, it's not safe to assume either that men want to escape the home and things that people say. Like, I don't, I think that there is room for improvement there and that all of this engagement with the topic can help us get there. So that's, that's kind of why I spend the time doing it. I don't spend a ton of time um, really talking about this in, in public, but I, I think it's something that I, I hear it a lot from um, male and female lawyers, actually, that, that reach out to me about inter alia. And it's, it's very top of mind, but there's a pretense that it's not that I'd like to help remove if we can. I think we can do it 30 minutes of a podcast. Yeah, I think we solved the problem. Congratulations. <laughs> Congratulations. We did it. Pat ourselves on the back, move on, and never have to think about it ever again. <laughs> oh, it's, it's a heavy topic, but uh, yeah, it's also good to solve it in 30 minutes. I think that, that, that was positive. It was good, good use of time. I feel so satisfied. Let's call it a day. <laughs> we'll pick our kids up early from daycare. Let's do it. Yeah. We'll do goods and grapes anyway after the break. The Lawyer Life Podcast is brought to you by Inter Alia Law, experienced legal counsel when and where you need us. To learn more about Inter Alia, visit the website at spelled I-N-T-E-R-A-L-I-A-Law.com. Thank you. And we are back with our goods and gripes. Goods are things we want to promote and support. Gripes are things that annoy us. Darlene. Okay, I'm going to start with a gripe because my gripe this week is actually in the mic genre of gripes. And I had a laugh last night thinking about you uh, when I was having this gripe to myself. Okay. So I go to the gym because one of the things I've been neglecting over the past few years is my own uh, fitness regimen, which I do, I do take a lot of uh, stress relief and stuff from. So I'm getting back into that. And I'm at the gym where I'm going to work on the elliptical and do some weights. And I was driving around looking for a closer parking spot for like two minutes. <laughs> and I was not alone. 
there were other cars mm-hmm. circling for the closer parking spot. And I thought to myself, I have a gripe about myself in this moment. I should just mm-hmm. park at the other end of the parking lot because I'm here for exercise. What am I doing? Anyway, thank you. Thank I you. have always, it's actually a historical gripe of mine. What? Is, is people driving to go run on a treadmill. That has wow. always been so bothersome to me. That's a, just, like a next level gripe. Yes. It's an especially when it's nice gripe. out. Just run outside. Then you don't have to go in your car. That's such a 30 something thing of you to say. I used to run outside <laughs> and you will talk to me when you are my age and we will discuss how your knees what? feel about running on the sidewalks. This is or, my okay. Uh, okay. So we'll discuss. This is like an old person's issue that's coming up here. Look, the generation gap makes. But you were on an elliptical, which I sp- <laughs> which is different than a which treadmill is, for yes. the purposes of my gripe. Low um, impact, but still, I can walk. You know, I can walk, for example, outside, and I could. Anyway, yes, for many years, <laughs> running was my exercise of choice, and then it yeah. became progressively harder and harder on my knees, and now I'm just an elliptical person. But anyway, that's uh, that's not why okay. I don't walk to the from the far reaches of the parking lot. I honestly didn't even notice I was doing it until I realized I was waiting for a spot. There's also something about, and I'm totally, I, I'm aligned with this. Getting a good parking spot is among the most satisfying small things that you can experience in life. It really is. Um, it becomes a good. So great. Do you yeah, have a oh, grape yeah. when we can end with good? I do have a grape. This is also, it's not really related, but I was in the grocery store line yesterday and the person in front of me individually, like with the produced plastic bags, individually bagged all of her produce mm. even bananas which mm. i isn't what blew my mind <laughs> why do your bananas have to be in a plastic you're not going to eat the skin of a banana it's protecting the fruit what are you protecting the bananas from i don't know did you advise her that that was going to end up in the ocean to the detriment of us all that's right why are you doing <laughs> Oh, gosh. And it was just like, there was an onion, a single onion in a plastic bag. What kind of world do we live in? Wow. That is, yeah. uh, that's a legit grape. Thank you. Uh, you have a good? I do have a good. On the topic, I went to Canadian Music last, Canadian Music Week last week or a couple weeks ago. And I saw Dave Grohl, who's one of my favorite rock stars, um, interview his mother for the occasion of Mother's Day. Um, and she has written a book about how to raise a rock star kid called From Cradle to Stage. And the book is basically a series of interviews with rock star moms and sort of tries to identify some of the common threads between, hmm. um, you know, what they were doing to raise these really uh, authentic, awesome kids. And I think for the the reason I wanted to bring it up as a good on this podcast was, you know, I would say the main takeaway that I took from the from the interview was the the thing that these people did is they just allowed their kids to be who they were going to be. That's really what they did. They I think they were pretty engaged for the most part. A lot of them were single moms. Most of these rockers did not have dads in the picture. Um, and man, just really. I mean, Dave Grohl's mom was a teacher at the high school that he dropped out of to go on tour as a 16-year-old. That's got to be rough on the old ego. (laughs) Mom, you know, you teach at this high school, you can't keep your kid in school. But meanwhile, that that decision worked out pretty well for her. So 
um, I was I was really touched by that. And I think to the theme of parenting, um, you know, it doesn't, it's not clear that there's a recipe for success, but I think there is, you know, love can go a long way and being as present as you humanly can be. Um, all of these parents seem to have worked very hard. I don't think any of them were um, just full-time dedicated parents, but their kids came out of it with a really strong sense of self. And I was uh, really heartened to see that. So that's my good. And on that note, just because you bring it up, single parents, my goodness, I am, my goodness. I'm astounded. <laughs> yeah. Single parents are good. How do you do it? I just think you're all heroes. Incredible. Yeah. Uh, anyway, my totally. <laughs> moving on from that very significant good. Um, I have two goods. First of all, I have to make my obligatory sports reference, um, which I already kind of did. The Raptors are a, a win away from being in the NBA Finals, and I have never been so enthralled by a playoff run uh, of a of a basketball team, certainly, and not for a Toronto team in a long time since the Jays were involved. So, what great fun it is to watch them! They're so exciting. Um, and I I came across uh, well first a song, and now I understand it's from a documentary. Um, I think you'll like this, Darlene. Uh, Jacob Dylan and Fiona Apple, um, so Blast from the Past, uh, they have a, a duet uh, cover of uh, In My Room by the Beach Boys, written by Brian Wilson, which is a beautiful cover. It's a great song. Uh, and it comes from um, this documentary that actually premieres today, I think, in LA called Echo in the Canyon. Uh, and it focuses on the development of... Um, like uh, the LA mid 1960s music scene and sound that, that came out of that time. Um, and so it features the soundtrack features um, songs by Brian Wilson, Eric Clapton and so on, but covered by uh, Beck and Nora Jones and Regina Spector and Cat Power. And so I think it'll be just a, I'm looking forward to seeing the movie, but certainly I'm already listening to the soundtrack and it is spectacular. Really nice listen. So, Great. Thank you favorite. for the tip. I always appreciate these uh, <laughs> these Mike Anderson music tips. This is good. I don't I, know where we'll be able to access the documentary, but at least Spotify has the, uh, I'm sure Apple Tunes or whatever the heck it's called. <laughs> Apple Music. <laughs> yes, Apple uh, Tunes. Apple they should have thought of that. That would have been a, a good one. Anyway, well, this has been great. I think to, maybe to be continued, there's a lot to say on this topic, but I think this is a good start and uh, very timely in honor of your uh, new arrival. Yeah, Tommy. Yay. Okay. <laughs> well, have a great okay. weekend. Okay. You too. We'll talk soon. Talk soon. That's it for this week's episode of LLP. Thanks to Inter Alia Law for presenting the podcast and to Nick Fowler for composing and performing our music. See our show notes for his website. Don't forget, we love feedback. Please comment in the review section or subscribe or like. We'd appreciate it greatly. That's it. Talk soon.